Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. You're listening to the Circe Podcast Network. I'm Joshua Gibbs, and this is Proverbial, the podcast where we explore the wisdom of the ages as it comes to us in Proverbs, by which I mean wise sayings a man may live by if he's not so arrogant as to think himself special. Episode 95. Buyer's Remorse. Today's proverb is unattributed. I'll read it twice. You can't have your cake and eat it too. Once more, you can't have your cake and eat it too. When I was a child, I did not understand this proverb. I thought that having meant eating. I'm going to have some cake meant I'm going to eat some cake. So what does this mean? You can't have your cake and eat it too. As I get older, I understood that having meant possessing. And so you cannot possess cake and consume it too. The consuming does away with the possessing. The key word in this proverb is the word cake. Because it's just as true that you can't have your broccoli and eat it too. But no one cares. Broccoli isn't one of those things that we want to keep around. Cake is, though. We like having cake around. Because having cake around means that the possibility of eating cake is on the horizon. It's a possibility. If the proverb still seems strange, let me paraphrase it. You cannot 
have your money and spend it too. It's nice to have money, but it is also nice to spend it. I want to say that often enough, having money is nicer than spending it. And I say that as somebody who enjoys spending money. I am not above engaging in a little retail therapy from time to time. I know it's nice to spend money. But I think the nicer part of money is having it. In fact, the nicest part about getting money is really just the first few hours after you have it. Why? Well, because the first few hours after you get money, and I mean like a tidy sum of money, you haven't wasted any of it yet. When you still have all your money, there's no regret on what you've spent it on. The money is pure possibility. It's a fantasy. A large sum of money. And when I say large, I don't mean millions of dollars. I don't even mean thousands of dollars. When I say a lot of money, I just mean more money than you usually have. That's a lot of money. Money becomes considerable the moment you have more of it than you're accustomed to, right? Is $50 a lot of money? Well, when you're nine, absolutely it is. I say the nicest part about getting money is the first few hours after you have it because you don't have to feel bad about not having it yet. And when I say there's a fantasy that comes with it, I mean... You could buy hundreds, if not thousands of things with surplus money. You could spend surplus money on good things. You could spend it on charity. You can give it away. And I'm sure this is a thought that most people have whenever they have more money than usual. Maybe I will just spend this on my friends. Maybe I will give this. Maybe I will give this money to the poor. Maybe I'll give some of it to the poor. Maybe I'll give a little bit of it to the poor. Well, maybe I won't give any of it to the poor. That's maybe the first five, six, seven hours after you acquire more money than you usually have, which is always a lot. Anything more than what is usual is a lot. Of course, even having money that isn't spent can sour. And that's why I say it's really... The first few hours after you have it. Like if you're, when you're 10 and your birthday party is at three in the afternoon and you open all the cards and it's $60, $70 collectively from your friends and your parents and your grandma. The best part of that 70 bucks is the time that elapses between the moment you've totaled it up and the moment that you go to bed. Even unspent money will sour. And the reason why it sours is because at first, 
more money than usual can buy anything. You think of all the hundreds, maybe thousands of things you could buy with it. But the longer you think about it, the less it becomes. Your desire quickly outpaces your means. And if you've got $50 more than you normally have, at first it will buy a lot. But the longer you think about it, the less it will buy because the more you want. Your want outpaces your means, and pretty soon $50 is nothing. It's less than nothing because it's created new desires in you that weren't there before, which means new suffering you didn't have to endure before. You can't think about what you want to buy for long before it comes to dominate your thoughts. And you can't think about anything other than spending money. More money than usual also has the power to make us despair or become bored with things that we wanted before. Like when you're a child and you know there's a birthday on the horizon and you remember past birthdays. And so you know that somewhere between 40 and $70 in cash is coming your way. And you make a plan of what you want to spend $50 on, say. And the party comes and the cards are opened and there it is, all the money that you need in order to buy whatever thing costs $50. But as soon as the money is in your hand, a lot of people become less confident. They even want the thing they wanted before. I had this happen also with trailers for movies. Like I see a trailer for a movie. And I think, oh, that looks amazing. I would love to see that movie. When does it come out? I will definitely make a point of seeing this as soon as it comes out. And then I find that the movie has already come out and then I can watch it for free on one of the streaming platforms that I pay for. And I think, oh, wow, maybe I don't actually want to see it all that much. Same is true for money. I'm going to spend this $50 on a brand new baseball hat. And then the $50 is in hand, and you think, do I really want that? And we're not sure anymore. Money sours because we often, whenever we have more money than usual, we always think that we have even more than we actually do. That's another key mistake. If you have $50 more than you normally have, it's only $50, even though it's going to seem like $500 more than you normally have. Which means that it's easy to break into the 50 and waste it. There's a children's book, A Bargain for Francis. I love this book. Perhaps you've read it. There's a whole series of Francis the Badger books. Frances the Badger wants a tea set. She wants a china tea set with these little red flowers on it. And so she saves up to buy one, and then she has enough to buy it, 
And when she has enough, she goes over to her friend Thelma's house. And Thelma has an ugly plastic tea set. And she offers to sell it to Francis. And Francis says, no, I want a real China tea set. And so Thelma tells Francis a story about a girl who wanted a real China tea set and couldn't find it. And after she can't find it, Thelma says, then that girl lost some of her money and spent the rest on candy. This is what happens. A lot of girls never get tea sets. I read this book for the first time to my children maybe eight or nine years ago. And even in my early 30s, this rang true. She lost some of the money and then spent the rest on candy. This is what happens. A lot of girls never get tea sets. A lot of boys don't get the things they want. A lot of men don't get the things they want. Not because they lose some of their money, but because they spend it on ephemeral, stupid things. And when you lose the purchasing power that comes with a large sum, because you waste too much of it early on, then it's easy to fritter away the rest of it as well. And this is because a tidy sum of money, a lot of money, which is however much more than you usually have, it has some surface tension. And so it will resist being spent for a while because of the fantasy element that comes with it. We know that as soon as the money is spent, there's no more fantasy. There's no more possibility. Everything becomes alarmingly particular, and we're stuck with the choices that we've made. I think that's the surface tension of a tidy sum. As soon as you start spending, the fantasy dies. That's what buyer's remorse is. Buyer's remorse is not a particularly bad choice on what to spend your money on. It's any choice. Because as soon as you've spent it, the thing you have rarely provides you with the pleasure of the fantasy, with the pleasure of possibility, with the power that comes with the surplus of money. The best part of having a bunch of money is the first couple hours after you have it. Like the best part of summer vacation is the first week. You haven't wasted any time yet. You haven't blown any afternoon. Or if you have, any wastefulness can be written off on the bounty of time that still remains. All the sin that comes from not having a schedule has not settled into your heart yet. So the best part, the best part of summer break is right when it starts. There's a quote from Friedrich Nietzsche that I almost devoted this episode to. Possessions are generally diminished in possession. Just like cake is diminished in the eating. Nothing lives up to the ideal. There's nothing quite so remarkable as anything that meets your expectations. 
I say nothing lives up to the ideal. Almost nothing lives up to the ideal. There's almost no greater praise that you can lavish on anything than that it lived up to your expectations. When it comes to money, time, or really any luxury, we want to both possess and consume. We like the fantasy that comes from surplus. But we also want to indulge the fantasy. I say that this is true not only of cake, not only of money, but it's true of time as well. I think that so far as Americans are concerned, it's time or ease that we're most interested in both possessing and consuming. We love ease. We want to enjoy ease and consume it as well. Now, this might sound like a terribly abstract thing to say. What does it mean to love ease? We love ease in as much as we have a pathological fear of stress. Stress is the mother of all maladies, so far as modern Americans are concerned. If you get stressed out, anything awful could happen to you. Now, stress is simply what comes from consuming ease. We want to be productive and entirely at ease at the same time, but we can't. To consume your ease is to become productive. To consume your time, to spend your time, is to get something in return for it. But productivity is stressful. Productivity is inherently stressful. Productivity is what you get when you spend your time, when you spend your ease, when you spend your leisure, you are productive. Which means really that the fear of stress is the fear of productivity. Or it's a loathing of productivity. Because we want to have our ease and it's not that we want to have our ease and consume it too. We want to have our ease and enjoy the fruits of having consumed it. We don't want to labor, but we do want the things that come from labor. That's why we're also in debt. Labor or productivity is the consumption of ease. It's the, dev it's the eating of ease. If you don't want to work, you take it easy. I wrote an article for Circe about this recently. Every teacher in this country now has students who regularly skip school because they're stressed out. Their parents tell teachers this. My child is too stressed out to come to school, so I'm keeping him at home. Of course, with the ease of staying at home, labor is lost, productivity is lost, and the feeling of being behind is stressful as well. It's stressful to be behind because you know you're living on borrowed leisure. Of course, you see the same sort of logic going on in the highest reaches of American government as well. It's not weird that parents say this. The government gives away too much money. Inflation ensues. So what are we thinking of doing now? Giving out more free money to curb the effects of inflation. 
That's wanting to have your cake and eat it too. So if you can't have your cake and eat it too, what do you do with cake? Is it better to have it or to eat it? One of the most common strategies for dealing with cake, one of the most common cake plans is keeping your expectations low. The longer you hold the cake, the more you think about it, the higher your expectations for the cake are, the more disappointed you are when you taste it. So keep your expectations low. I, to be honest, I don't think that this is a good strategy. Expectations are what make life interesting. A good deal of anyone's intellectual life centers around expectations. Maybe not expectations for cake, but expectations for something. The question I regularly ask my students, what are you looking forward to? And they say, you mean at school? Just anything. What are you looking forward to? The anticipation of what drives your day. There's taking whatever life throws at you, but I think that looking forward to significant events, I think anticipating significant events is what ultimately makes significant events profitable. It doesn't make them pleasant, but it can make them profitable. Expectations are what give an event, any event, its spiritual potency. Because expectations pair material events with spiritual significance. An event that has not been anticipated has not been understood. So you could also look back on an event to discern its meaning, but in looking back on a significant event, I think you're often getting your expectations in line for next time. So I don't think the solution is to keep your expectations low. The only way to keep your expectations low is to not really indulge in the contemplation of a thing's meaning. Because the more you discern the meaning of a thing, the more you anticipate it. The more you anticipate the spiritual significance of a thing, the more deeply you anticipate it, the more ardently you want it. So the problem is holding on to your cake. The problem is merely having the possibility of something pleasant coming your way. And finally, getting to the moment that it's consumed and you're disappointed. This is the problem. I think that the solution to this is not keeping your expectations low. I think the solution to this is only, do, only eating your cake, so to speak, at the right time and in the right place. Now, I know that sounds exceedingly vague, but I think that the solution to so many pleasures, and I've made this point in numerous shows before this, the solution to the problem of pleasure or the danger of pleasure is ceremony. Ceremony has the power to make pleasure safe. 
and to give pleasure, not just to make it safe. Ceremony has the power to give pleasure spiritual significance. Which pleasure does not, it's hard to get pleasure to have spiritual significance. Pain is a far better tutor than pleasure. This doesn't mean that pleasure is wrong, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. But you have got to be tasting at the right time and in the company of others. And the whole thing has to be shot through with spiritual significance. And the only way to give pleasure spiritual significance is to ceremonialize pleasure. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.